The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Enterprise. It's Travis, Subcommander. Could you send a shuttle pod down? What's the problem, Ensign? I had a little rock climbing accident. Where are you? In the Central Hospital, but I really want to get back to Enterprise. The fun part is the way the rock face changes. The problem is the handholds change too. <laughs> Why didn't you let them finish treating you on the surface? Have you ever been to an alien hospital? Yes, in San Francisco. These people have never treated a human before. One of my own doctor. Where's Phlox? He's not available. What do you mean he's not available? Good morning, London. It is Thursday, November 18, 2010. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today. Robert Vaughn not with us today, but will return next week in his usual co-hosting spot because, of course, Robert has has the odd time that his work schedule conflicts with the show, and this is just one of those odd times. Today on the show, the doctor shortage, health care, the debate everyone wants to avoid, and that is that the cause of our health care problem is a philosophical one, not one about money. Tommy Douglas, hero or villain? I'm going to put the case to you. You're going to hear it out of his own out of his own mouth. He's a villain, and we're going to take a look at behind the principles of Medicare, the ugly truth, and hopefully we can close off the show with some so-called simplistic solutions to this very complex problem of what to do about our doctor shortages. But first, uh, just a couple of uh, program announcements. Just wanted to make sure that you're, you didn't lose your minds last week. No, there was no broadcast of Just Right on November 11th, which was Remembrance Day, of course. And um, it just happened to fall on, on our day, 11-11-11, just when we go on the air. And there was some special programming last week. So if you're looking for a, la- a broadcast for last week, it will not be available because it doesn't exist. But we have an additional problem. Two weeks ago, our November 4th broadcast, which was went fine for the first time in the show's history, I guess we just didn't get an archive copy of it. Something went wrong with the system. We know the system was broadcast fine and went online streaming fine because a lot of folks called me to tell me they heard the show. But now we're just looking and see if you can help if anyone happens to have a copy of that show. If you can help, uh, please do contact us at feedback at justrightmedia.org and we can make a copy of that available for the folks that are looking for it. Other than that, um, it's back to normal. I guess we're catch- catching up again. 519-661-3600 is the number you can always call to reach us if you want to share some opinions with us. But what got me going, uh, you know, healthcare in crisis. We hear that word since healthcare started. Tommy Douglas, is he a hero or a villain? If there's any doubts that our healthcare crisis is anything but a philosophical one, I'm hoping to allay that doubt before the end of the of the show today. I was prompted to tackle this question because of a radio broadcast I heard last week on Monday, November 8th. As I often do, I call in on Andy Utman's show on CJBK, offered my own two cents on the debate of, uh, of health care shortage. But it was two people who appeared on the show after my call whose interviews were right out of Ayn Rand's classic horror files, which she used to call stories that uh, she would publicize from news events of her time that kind of illustrated the philosophical bankruptcy facing the nation and where it might head us. Both an emergency doctor were interviewed, um, Dr. Gary Jubers and the Globe and Mail reporter Andre Picard were interviewed, and both of them did a very interesting thing that really prompted today's shows, and that's that they rejected any explicit discussion of principles in the healthcare debate. And then they spent the rest of their time continuing to state their own cases based on explicitly socialist principles mixed with a healthy dose of of pragmatism. Now this stuff's right out of Atlas Shrugged in the Fountainhead and can serve as a lesson for all of us. 
And just as I sat down on uh, Monday morning to prepare for this very show, I turned on my TV, a witness on CTV TV. Um, Atlas is shrugging in the province of Newfoundland. Apparently, 14 healthcare specialists had just resigned, according to spokesperson Dr. Sandra Luscombe, because they were unable to recruit more specialists to the area and because they are seeking wage parity with other specialists who work in other areas. And, you know, that's just like a daily report on the state of our healthcare system. We hear these stories every day. And, of course, these are all symptoms of what we're suffering from these days the welfare state. It's a little ironic that one week ago we celebrated Remembrance uh, slash Veterans Day, forgetting in some ways that entirely that the wars in which Canadians and Americans were forced to fight were wars against a welfare state, Germany. And despite winning the war in Europe and against Japan in their fight against the welfare state and for freedom, I guess, um, the trend for many years now has not been promising, to say the least. But the reason that Dr. Juberes and Globe and Mail reporter Andre Picard found themselves on the radio that day was because on that very weekend preceding, it was reported in the media that ambulances were waiting outside London emergency hospital rooms with lineups, people not being able to get in, six at one hospital, five at another hospital, because apparently there were no doctors available to work in the emergency rooms. Citing staff shortages, the report suggests that at one time, only one doctor was available in one of the emergency rooms. I, f- I find this out- just unbelievable. Apparently, they, quote, can't get doctors to work emergency rooms, end quote. Dr. Gary Juberes with Andy Utman on November 8th was interviewed. And, this, you know, I, I like to listen to, to other radio stations all around the country and around the city to hear their news reporting, separate from what you see in the papers and what you see in print. Because so often, hearing it straight out of the horse's mouth, you get a different point of view entirely when you can hear exactly what the person said, unedited. It's live on the air as it happens. And you can hear exactly what's going on behind the scene. And when he was asked about whether health care in Ontario is, quote, broken or not, he sort of avoided that question, saying, you know, he really doesn't know about all of Ontario. But he knows what's going on as an emergency physician, and he says, quote, he says, we have several difficulties. It's not unique at LHSC. Ambulance offload delays. Bed access issues. We have an aging population in the province. We require more acute care beds for more complex patients. And finally, on top of that, we don't seem to have the right number of nursing homes or beds available post-care hospital care. And so all of these things add up to our frustration in the emergency department, he says. And specifically speaking, he says, I know people have been concerned about wait times, access, ambulance offload delays. In the emergency departments at Victoria Hospital, they have a little over 65 active beds. At UH, a little less than around 45 active beds in the emergency department. On any given day, depending on what's happening on the inpatient side, they may have as many as 20 patients at each of those sites occupying a bed. Some of those occupations take a long time for them to be moved up to a ward. And they call these people boarded patients, which the doctor explained was a patient who has been seen by a service, and I found that interesting, the use of the word service. You're not seen by a doctor or nurse. You're seen by a service. Uh, And such a person has been admitted to hospital, yet doesn't have a bed assigned on the inpatient side. And he said, quote, those patients occupy very valuable real estate in the emergency department. Real estate we could use to see anywhere from 4 to 14 patients in a 24-hour period. These boarded patients are one of the many obstacles that impact our ability to move patients through the emergency department. Apparently at that time, Monday last week, the average wait time in London, if you're going into an emergency room, is 16 hours at UH and 19 hours at Victoria Hospital. Then he says the emergency issue is not an emergency issue. It is a hospital-wide access issue. And, you know... That's where an emergency doctor kind of stops talking. After that, he doesn't want to look any further, but doesn't answer, what's the hospital-wide access issue caused by? It's fine to say that the reason you've got a blockage in your department is because the department ahead has got a blockage, but isn't there a reason for their blockage? His message to Deb Matthews, Ontario's health minister, was, quote, we really need a process 
to better care for our patients, and that means more access to acute care beds. And there are several ways to do that, including decanting patients who no longer require acute care hospital care. When we open 400 beds, they get filled quite quickly. There has to be some priority setting for hospitals. We need more frontline workers. The workers that are there are all exhausted, but doing their part. So all this calls for, and this is what you hear from everybody who thinks they can fix an unfixable situation, a reallocation of funding. You know, give us the money, but whoever you're taking it away from, let them worry about their problems. They don't, they don't even mention the other person who's going to be reallocated from as though that they don't exist. And, he, and, and the doctor pointed out, quote, despite the fact that the minister put 400 new beds in the London area, that didn't put a dent in the problem. Everyone says it's all about money. I don't think it's about money, says Dr. Gervais. It's about how we use that money. And again, that's the constant refrain. It's not about the money. It's about how we use it. Well, it is about the money. And it's not just about how you use it. It's how you get it, how you earn it. And that's the thing no one wants to talk about. And he, he cites, he says, I know that our Honorable Minister of Health has been looking into, into this to ensure that we're getting the best bang for our buck, but it's a complex system. And uh, you know, he says it's complex because the allocation of resources have to meet the demands of the populace and at the same time hold some degree of political savvy. So it's always a very complex problem. Well, there's your complexity. You've got politics involved in it. And politics isn't exactly rational, isn't going to make, make medicine per se the, uh, you know, the number one thing in the, in the country that they're going to be looking after. But um, again, he says it's a, com- it's a complex problem, rather. Then Andy refers to this hopeless deluge of need that we have in our hospitals, something apparently we just can't deal with. And... The doctor replies, he says, I think that watching my frontline troops go in there and fight the battles day after day, as heroic as other actions that happen within this country and don't get, are as heroic as other actions that happen in this country and don't get recognized. And he says, for an individual patient to be sitting in a stretcher for an inordinate amount of time, waiting for an inpatient bed or waiting to receive appropriate care really does break my heart, says the doctor. Well, I'm sure it does a lot more than heartbreaking to the, to the patients that are sitting there and waiting. It's bad enough you have to be ill and you have to be in, you know, not your best state of mind, etc. And then to find you have to wait 16 to 19 hours just to be able to be, you know, treated properly in a, in a hospital in Canada where we're supposed to have this kind of, of, of a uh, guaranteed health care. And when I hear a doctor talking about troops and fighting battles and heroic action, it almost, almost sounded like he was lobbying for a National Veterans Day for doctors. Like, you know, we were sending them into a war, especially when the troops, you know, which was one doctor at one point, I guess that's the troops, uh, are being abused so badly by a government-run health care system. And whether you like to believe it or not, the, the, the real enemy in our health care system under socialism is the doctors. They're the enemy. They're the people that are perceived as the ultimate target of all this control, whether they believe it or not. I'm going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at, uh, start looking at the issue of Tommy Douglas. Is he a hero or a villain? But first, take this break, and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. A ballooning budget that consumes half of Ontario's tax dollars will mean big changes in health care. But one hospital CEO says it could also see hospitals turned into health care malls. Scott Miller with more from Walkerton. Does the patient have any chest pain now? Hospitals may not just be the place you go to to get a stitch or have a baby in the next decade. Hospitals may become health care malls. South Bruce Gray Health Center CEO Paul Davies. One of the options is to rent out space uh, to other health care providers uh, such as CCAC, uh, home care, whoever, uh, that would need space and also provides primary care. We also are looking at um, areas such as family health teams and joining them to the hospital as well so that uh, in essence you get uh, one-stop shopping when you come for health care. Across the entire four hospital network that Davies oversees, he says that inpatient days have dropped from 39,000 to 19,000 in the past decade. 
Simply put, he says, the hospitals have room to spare and the yearly threat of balancing the books. People can come to one center in a community and um, get their health care. See, that's what I, that's, that's my, my yeah, case. That idea may work, but Davies and the board had best keep their eye on today. Say the people around this table, they represent OPSUIT. That union is holding a community forum in Walkerton tonight to talk about the problems they've been having with management. There's been a lot of controversy around the rethermalization of food, the cuts to physiotherapy, the cuts to obstetrics, and I can go on and on and on. Brockton's deputy mayor and OPSU member Roland Anstead is emceeing tonight's event. We're building a new clinic, but they're worried about the existing facilities and having nurses and staff to run those facilities. In Walkerton, Scott Miller, A News. Why is your minister interested in St. Edward's Hospital? Well, he's apparently greatly concerned that it has no patients. Takes all sorts. Yes. <laughs> How can there be patients when it has no nursing staff? Well, quiet. We found at the DHSS that it takes time to get things going. Mm -hmm. First of all, you have to sort out the smooth running of the hospital. Having patients around would be no help at all. No. <laughs> They'd just be in the way. Right. <laughs> you tell your minister this is the run-in period. Yes, yes, the run-in period. into the run-out period, not into the run-in period. And, of course, that was a scene from Yes Minister about patients getting in the way. And just before that, you heard a uh, November 2nd A-Channel broadcast talking about health care malls, something they're considering in the future to, uh, you know, make health care a little more accessible to people. You know, there's a private market out there that really wants to fight into the system, and there are all kinds of people just itching to help and contribute to providing health care in this province, but we have a single-payer system. And it is unfortunately illegal for us to pay for any services that compete with services offered by the government. If they don't compete with services offered by the government, it's okay, you can get your private health care. Or at least if it's not legislated against, and that's the issue. Um, fast, affordable health care is actually illegal. You have to legalize it. Globe Mail reporter Andre Picard apparently was doing a series on the health care issue and was asked how serious the problem was on his portion of the radio interview that we're talking about. And by the way, 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you have a comment on any of this. And when asked how serious the problem was, you know, I always want to hear that first word. Is it serious? Is it really bad? Well, when I hear something like this, quote, well, you know, health care matters to every one of us. We have parents who need care, children, ourselves. So this is something that really matters for a long time. So we owe it to ourselves to get it right. So there are all kinds of problems. There's good things too, but there's lots of issues that, have to, that we have to deal with before they get worse. Um, that was not exactly the answer I was expecting from a Globe and Mail reporter. Then he continued, quote, These issues come up everywhere. It's not unique to any one province or any one city or any one institution. They come up as at various times, and the reasons, as you no doubt heard, are very complex. And there's that complexity again. Not enough paramedics. It's about bed blockers. You know, those patients that get in the way. It's about not getting our priorities right. Now, there you hear that again. Where, where do we just hear that from the other caller? So there's a complex mix of issues that come into this. So we owe it to ourselves to understand these complexities and, quote, not look for simple solutions. And, you know, i got to tell you, these kind of comments just burn me up. They're so irrational that one wonders how a person saying these things is capable of arriving at any conclusion to any problem, let alone postulate a solution, complex or otherwise. And, you know, what are the most serious problems threatening health and the lives of patients in Ontario? And what do you think the answer would be? Short bed shortage? Uh, would it be about, you know, doctors not being available, malpractice, anything like that? Well, 
Here's what Andre Picard says, quote, To me, the most serious problem is that we have just got stuck in these dogmatic debates. After having just given his own dogmatic, it's complex argument. Um, that private is good and that uh, public is bad. And we won't discuss what really matters, which to me is the care on the ground. You know, when I hear someone trying to dismiss a debate like that and then say he cares about the care on the ground and he can't see the connection between the two or insists that there isn't one, something's very wrong. He says people who are sitting in the emergency room there for over 13 hours, as we've heard, they don't care who provides their care. Now, that's true. They want good care and they want it promptly. That's true, too. I think in Canada we get so caught up in the, oh, we have a wonderful principles in Medicare. Yeah, the principles are great. Oh, are they? But they're not worth anything if we don't deliver on the ground. And he says that's what his whole series is about in the Globe and Mail that he's writing about. So his series is about, quote, let's move beyond the debating of principles. And let's talk about what they mean in practice. And we don't do enough of that in Canada, he says, to which I say, good heavens, that's all we do. We avoid the debate like it's the plague. And that's exactly what he's doing in his answers. And uh, then, Andy, you've been referred to as guest Canadian patient who went to the States to get shots for a painful condition he had. Took 20 minutes to take care of over there. Only three days to get booked and done versus months and months and months of waiting in Canada. And he says, uh, you know, Americans aren't applauding the health, our, our Canadian health care system anymore. To which Picard says, well, he says, that's the issue. It's lovely to have principles, but let's deliver on them. Well, two minutes ago he said, you don't want principles. You don't want to get into a debate like that. And he says this whole notion of people can't pay for care, that's not the intention of Medicare. The intention of Medicare was for people who can't afford it to get care. And I think that's pretty sacred to Canadians. Nowhere does that imply that people who can afford it shouldn't be able to buy care. Maybe they shouldn't be able to jump the queue. That's another debate, but let's have some variety and some variety of options for people, and there shouldn't be weights like that. There has to be some common sense brought into the system. Now, common sense is a form of philosophy, folks. It's a form of, 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 of thinking, a form of drawing conclusions from pe premises and previous experience and knowledge. And, of course, jumping the queue, no, you can't have that debate. Um, should Canadians be able to jump the queue? You know, how would Canadians react? And he suggests, well, uh, it depends. You're going to have the dogmatic approach, which is, quote, absolutely not. It should never happen. And then you're going to hear from a lot of people, like the people in trouble who go to the States and who have to get their health care elsewhere, who say, listen, I can't live for 14 weeks in excruciating pain and I can't wait forever. I think what we have to do is ask, how can we have both of these things? How can we have our principles and deliver on them. It's been a lively debate and has been emotional and passionate. It's nice to see Canadians get into it. Now I'm scratching my head because here he's saying the problem was Canadians are always getting caught up in this debate and that they shouldn't have it, but now we should be getting into it. He's saying that the principles are good, but the practice is bad. No connection there. And of course, how can we have both things? How can we have our dogma and eat it too? <laughs> our dogma of, of, of socialized medicine. And, of course, the, to the eternal question, is it all about money? He answers, no, absolutely not. It's about priorities and getting them right. Yep, that's what they all say. Every conservative says that, too, about any, any federal budget, you know. Oh, no, we've got lots of money in the system. we just got to change the priorities. Uh, yeah, just wait till you try doing that and see who's on the receiving end of one of those changed priorities. Usually it's a union somewhere, too. And then he says, we spend $192 billion in Canada. Plenty of health care money to go around, apparently. 10% of our entire economy is spent on health care, he says. We've got the resources. We've got the personnel. We've just got to coordinate it and get our priorities straight. And there goes that again. And we have to coordinate it. All this implies some master brain in the center of it all, all con controlling it, telling the doctor that he's got to do this and that. And, you know, the thing that coordinates stuff in the in the marketplace we already know what it's called it's called a free market and it's called freedom and it's the only thing that coordinates all of these services and he says this should have been done yesterday this is overdue we've been living on this notion that medicare is lovely for about 50 years we know that it is lovely 
It's a wonderful insurance pr- program. You know, this is another simple lie. It's not true. But let's get going, he says. Let's get stronger on the ground, and let's use that money more effectively and more efficiently. My goodness, you'd think he was running for politics, not writing a, an informative article on our health care system in Ontario. He says, both the Canadian and American systems have really good things about them and really bad things about them. I think this whole notion of comparing ourselves to the U.S. to feel better is about 30 years out of date. I think we should be looking to Europe. They do a lot of good things. The U.S. does a lot of good things. We deliver a lot of fabulous care in Canada. We can't forget that, but let's not be satisfied with that. Let's do better. Again, how? How's he going to do it better? How's he going to prioritize? Not a single mention of it, not even a hint. Just a wish uh, that we could have these principles of, of you know, free health care for everyone, although he says that's not what, what Tommy Douglas uh, actually said. Well, we're, we'll hear different from Tom, Tommy Douglas in about two minutes. And then he says... He went on to say his Globe and Mail series was all about public versus private health care and, and what is the right mix to get. And then he says, you know, there's no right answer. There's another wrong answer. So everyone should get in there and get, their, get in their two cents because things are going to change and you should have your voice heard. Well, that scares me when my medical health depends on me having my voice heard in the midst of a mob that is fighting about health care dollars. It doesn't sound like my, vo- my voice is going to count for very much unless there's a million of them just like me with the same condition at the same time in the same place. It's the only way we're going to have our voices heard. So then comes a big question. Should we turn the page on Tommy Douglas? To which he, Mr. Picard, replies, absolutely not. Tommy Douglas had wonderful principles. Hmm, Tommy Douglas had wonderful principles, but we shouldn't be having a debate about principles, right? You see how, how it's always going? Tommy Douglas never said Medicare should be all things to all people. He never said it should be free for everyone. He said, let's not forget those who need help. That's the Canadian way, and that shouldn't change. In fact, that should be strengthened by having a system that's more cohesive and more coordinated and more coherent. Hmm, interesting. It's funny that in the debate of private and public, nobody even knows what that debate's about. What needs to be privatized is not doctors and not hospitals because, hey, guess what? They already are private. Hello? The person who is not private in the system and why we, don't, why we can't say we have a free market is the patient. You! You and me, we're the ones who aren't privatized. We are not legally permitted to engage in a private consensual transaction with a doctor on any care that competes with the government-supplied health care. And until we can do that, we can't even talk private. It's a meaningless, meaningless issue. Hospitals and doctors have always been private and can only operate that way. A doctor is his own individual agent as such. So it's not about how the, the money is allocated. It's about how freedom is allocated. Patients don't get any. Freedom is what you must lose anytime you want something for nothing or for, quote, free. Now, Tommy Douglas, you know, he's sold as the hero of, of, of free health care for everyone, the father of Medicare. But free health care was originally and fraudulently sold as insurance. It was never meant as an insurance plan. There was ne- it was never created as such. There was never an actuarial basis built upon which premiums could be charged, upon which you knew a fund was building to protect you from emergencies. They didn't create a health care system for emergencies. They created a health care system for first dollar, $20 visit. That's where all the money's going. It's not going into the, to the heart surgeries and all that, although they are expensive. But if we weren't paying even just just for regular doctor visits, routine checkups, these things are not necessary to be paid for by an insurance plan. If someone's in a poverty situation, that is an entirely separate issue. You don't take over a whole industry to deal with a few people poverty. And, of course, um, there's the story about Tommy Douglas. You know, when he was 10 years old, he had an infected leg, and, and due to this, his parents either had to pay a doctor money or amputate his leg, and, and, and apparently a surgeon offered to operate for free on him. And he did that, and since then, I guess, that was one of those things that inspired him to become the father of Medicare. 
going to take a quick break now. Maybe not, not that quick. But first, what we're going to hear is from Tommy Douglas himself. This is a very passionate speech. And I know that, you know, a lot of you, when you hear it, you'll go, yeah, right on, right on, right on. But I'm going to take every single word that he says that you hear in this speech, and I'm going to explain to you how dangerous and deadly and incorrect everything he says is, despite the fact you might think his heart is in the right place. Very powerful speaker. Very seemed very uh, gregarious, very outgoing. Seemed like a nice guy in, in a lot of ways. But my goodness, how misled. And when we come back, we'll get into the counter debate to what you're going to hear right now. And the only thing, the only thing I can complain about is the liberals stole all the credit. <laughs> but really, is the credit one-tenth so so important is the achievement? I don't think so. Now, some people want to think we've won the fight against greed. That we have created a just and equitable society. I think to some degree we have. And I can't tell you how proud I am of, it, of, of us, of this uh, country that, that we have built together. But if you think that greed is defeated, that it is even abated, well, then I think you are more than a little naive. And I would like to take this chance to warn about some of the battles I think will inevitably be fought that I will sadly not be here to take part in. Medicare is only 20 years old. And already I hear the rumblings. Oh, well, it's too expensive, they say. Yes, well, the fact is medicine is expensive no matter how you pay for it. And it won't be any cheaper if we go back to tacking profits onto the bill. Now, that is simple math. The fact is a government... The fact is... I've lost my place now. Irma wrote this out for me, and her, her handwriting is atrocious. <laughs> the fact is, here we are, the fact is a government-administered plan is far more efficient than any private plan on the planet. Because, because in a free enterprise system, in a free enterprise system, there has always got to be a profit, just as I've always said. In fact, that profit has to grow always every year or the stockholders will rebel and heaven forbid we save a few lives at the expense of the stockholders. Yeah. <laughs> Medicine Medicine is a universal need, and it must be universally provided. A society, that's right, a society that can't see that isn't much of a society at all. You calm down now. Now, no matter what they tell you when I'm gone, I ask you to remember the founding principle of this party principle I have fought for uh, in Parliament and out of Parliament my entire life. That's very simple, actually. It is the principle that we are all in this world together. And the only test of our character that matters is how we look after the least fortunate among us. Not, not how, how... How we look after each other not how we look after ourselves. And that's all that really matters, I think. Health Service, Humphrey, is an advanced case of galloping bureaucracy. Oh, certainly not galloping. <laughs> A gentle canter at the most. Instances flood into this office every day, don't they, Bert? From whom, Minister? 
MPs, constituents, doctors, nurses, the public. Troublemakers. <laughs> the public? They're some of the worst. Listen to this memo. Stethoscope requisition. Because of the current supply situation, it is not possible to issue you with the extra stethoscopes you have applied for. We are, however, in a position to supply you with longer tubes for your existing stethoscopes. <laughs> well? Doesn't that strike you as rather odd? No. If they have a supply of long tubes, they'll no, be no, able to... No, 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 no. <laughs> No, they don't want longer stethoscopes, they want more stethoscopes. Uh, if the stethoscopes had really long tubes, Minister, the consultant can stand in one place and listen to all the chests on the wall. <laughs> well, what about this? Nurses' uniforms. It has become apparent that the latest consignment of nurses' coats are made of a see-through material. Nurses who have been issued with these coats are requested to report to the director of the Uniform Surveillance Centre who will assess the extent of the problem. <laughs> nice work if you can get it. Humphrey, I'm serious. Will you please note that the soft paper toilet rolls are provided only for the use of patients, not staff? It would appear that in recent months, staff have been using the soft toilet rolls for one reason or another. <laughs> this, St. Stephen's Mortuary will be closed over Christmas. During the holiday, medical staff are requested to cooperate in keeping pressure off this department. Well, a very civil and reasonable request. No, you think that during the rest of the year, the doctors are working hard to keep the mortuary busy? <laughs> Minister, these are just a few isolated examples. In general, the health service is as efficient and economical as the government allows it oh, to that's be. That's nonsense, Humphrey. I mean, look at the figures. They speak for themselves. In ten years, the number of health service administrators has gone up by 40,000 and the number of hospital beds has gone down by 60,000 and the annual cost of the health service has gone up by one and a half billion pounds in real terms. If only British industry could match this growth record. <laughs> you think that spending more and more money on fewer and fewer patients so that we can employ more and more administrators is a good way of spending the money voted by Parliament and supplied by the taxpayer? And welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon, 519-661-3600, the number to call if you want to reach us. Isn't it odd that that very episode of Yes Minister was probably broadcast around the same time as Tommy Douglas gave that speech we heard just before the break? And that was around 20 years after Medicare was introduced into Canada. And in his speech, Tommy Douglas uh, gave all the raw, raw stuff you want to hear. I mean, it was all there. And it was interesting, he says, the only thing he can complain about is that the Liberals claimed all the credit. Well, the Conservatives claim a good bit of it, too, because they're all in on the same scheme. It's a way of buying votes. And if you promise people something for nothing, it just seems to work all the time, even though it's not reality. But uh, pyramid schemes are popular if you're the guy at the top getting out with all the cash. But if you're the guy at the bottom who gets stuck with the bill 20 and 30 years later, it's not that good a plan for you now, is it? But here was the real scary stuff that Tommy Douglas was saying. He says, some people want to think that we have won the fight against greed. Huh, greed. I didn't know that's what the fight was about. I thought the fight was about health care for people who needed it. But no, it's not that. It's a fight against greed. Hmm. And he says, you know, a just and equitable society. Well, I know what he means, but just and equitable in the sense of the society he's talking about are two opposite things. You don't want a just, a just society or an equitable society. And he talks about how proud he is, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But if you think that greed is defeated, that it is even abated, I think you're more than a little naive, he says. And he talks about the rumblings about, you know, how Medicare is too expensive, and that medicine is expensive no matter how you pay for it. Well, that's not true either. And it won't be any cheaper if you go back to tacking profits on the bill. Now that is simple math, he says. Well, it isn't math at all. It's greed. Hello? <laughs> so at least Tommy Douglas was right on the mark when he said it was more than a little naive to believe that greed has been defeated because need turns into greed as soon as it is forcibly burdened upon those who do not consent. 
And that is why basically every socialist, communist, and fascist policy is based on greed, such as I've described. And normally, if that kind of greed, you know, what Tommy Douglas is describing as greed, who's he talking about? He said shareholders, but it's not really the shareholders, it's the doctors. The doctors are the ones who are getting paid for the service. They're the ones that are greedy, they want to get paid. And if somebody doesn't pay them, they won't do it for nothing like that doctor that fixed his leg, you see. So, normally we consider this kind of greed immoral in society. And because of that, socialists like to purposely confuse it with rational self-interest, which is a system under which no one has a right to force themselves upon someone else, regardless of their quote-unquote need. And the, the, the problem, of course, is that need can be defined in an infinite number of ways. It is infinite in and of itself, but resources are not. The people who respond to need are not infinite. Death is inevitable. Life is not inevitable. And then when Tommy Douglas says that, quote, the fact is, the fact is, get this, a government-administered plan is far more efficient than any private plan on the planet. Well, I don't know what planet he was on when he arrived at that conclusion. But what he's really saying is not that government is more efficient. It is not. What he's saying, this is the translation, he's saying that private companies do not have the power to steal from you. Government, on the other hand, can steal with impunity. On that level, it is totally efficient. It can raise money where a private company that has to raise the money voluntarily cannot. So what government is efficient at is the use of force. And that's what he is advocating. And that's why when you have an agency of force operating in a society, whether it's a legal, legalized one or thugs or anybody else, you're going to have all the good things in society suddenly disappear. Therefore, private plans can't compete with those who hold a monopoly on the use of force. Moreover, no private company could offer first-dollar coverage. Give me a break on premiums or non-premiums that don't, that don't even cover the first few cents of coverage. You know, even at its best when they used to collect premiums on, under OHIP, uh, the premiums never exceeded covering about 12% of Ontario's Medicare costs, and the balance was always paid for through taxation. And this very process, you'd think that with taxation, with force, oh, I've got the thug out, I'm going to endless money, so the healthcare system should be no problem. Why is it always a problem? Each and every time, there are no exceptions. It's not like you have to go far to see all the problems. This, you know, this very process is the cause of the coming collapse of, quote, free healthcare or whatever else you want to call the myth. And then, of course, you hear the real target of his hatred. Quote, because in a free enterprise system, and he repeats it, a free enterprise system, there's always got to be a profit. In fact, that profit has to grow as always in every year or its stockholders will rebel and heaven forbid we save a few lives at the expense of the stockholders. Well, we're now losing lives because we didn't pay attention to the stockholders. And profit does not have to grow exponentially year after year. You could keep it at 2%, 15%. If that's what a company's surviving business requirement is, hey, they could keep on doing that year after year and be very well off. Thank you very much. But here's the irony of the whole situation. When profits go up, prices go down. But that only happens on a free market. In a regulated market or a government-controlled market prices... Prices only go in one direction, mainly because there is no price. There's only costs. And government controls create shortages of everything from people to supplies. And what does that do? Drives prices up. And suddenly we're on this vicious treadmill from which there seems no escape. Another thing we have to realize is that profit is just another word for wages. Both represent earnings. And if anything, we should be sacred about profits and less so about wages because the difference between a profit and a wage is that the guy or the person or the company or the woman or whoever who is operating on a profit, he risks loss. It's a profit and loss system. Hello, capitalism is a profit and loss system. And for every person you see out there making a profit, there's 10 who, who lost their shirts. And it's necessary that they be filtered out of the system, that we don't subsidize those inefficiencies with tax dollars because then we don't get the product we want. The person receiving wages has a much less risk of loss since his wages are protected by private contract, the very process that uh, Tommy Douglas is speaking against. 
And of course, the opposite of a profit is a loss. To this, I can assure you, Tommy Douglas would not object, even though it might mean death. Stockholders provide the capital that makes the medicine he's talking about possible. If they don't do it, then we have to do it. And then how do they do it? They get it from us from taxes. When we're not even sick, we have to pay for it. Almost half of our lives go into this system that is not meeting the needs of people. Yeah, we deliver a lot of good health care, but are we delivering it to the people who want it, who need it, and are we apportioning it properly? Only the marketplace does, does that. And when we say free market, we mean free individuals who decide themselves who the doctor is that's going to work on them, who, who gets paid, even if they're insured, even if the government is helping, even if they pay for it by themselves or directly. So you, you, there, there's a whole process here. It's being ignored entirely by the socialist mind. It just cannot relate. And... You know, profits, when they're earned in a free enterprise system, in a free market system, they lower prices. Losses or lack of profit raises prices for a while and then leads to bankruptcy. And then you won't have anything to worry about or nothing to argue about, nothing to even fight about, whether high profits or low profits. And I'd rather have low-priced medicine making high profits than high-priced medicine making no profits because that's the real choice we face. But, of course, that's, quote, too complex for a socialist to grasp, given they work on simplistic math, apparently. And then he says medicine is a universal need and it must be universally provided. Well, so is food. Why isn't that on the top of his list? We need that every day. I need that three times a day. I, I, you know, I haven't been to a doctor in years. And provided by whom? And to whom? Why is one person the provider and another the mythically blessed recipient of all this unearned money? Just need? He doesn't mean universally because free enterprise is the only system that's ever demonstrated to be capable of universal provisions. But by universal, Tommy Douglas means government. And he says, a society that can't see that isn't much of a society at all. Well, to which I say some societies are civilized, some are not. And a civilized society is one in which the initiation of the use of force is prohibited by law and applies as equally to the government as to each of its citizens from whom that government, quote, derives its just powers. And a society that places need ahead of the principle of consent is an uncivilized society and won't even be any kind of society for much longer because everybody's got needs. It will be a society of competing interest groups all vying for government favors at the expense of the other. Sound familiar? Because that's exactly what we've been getting with our governments at every level, and yet the people like Andre Picard at the Globe and Mail who says, well, we can't have a, this is not a moral debate, and yet listen to everything that Tommy Douglas said. It's nothing but moral, 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 moral. Greed, greed, you know, free enterprise, capitalism, all those evil issues that are the political implications of a philosophy. And of course, what he says, he says, the founding principle of this party, meaning, of course, the NDP, and he says it's a principle that we're all in this world together. Well, that's not a principle. That's just a fact. And he says, how we looked af after each other, not how we look after ourselves. That's all that matters, which is, from his point of view, exactly right. He's in favor of altruism and sacrifice, not in favor of self-interest, although that sacrifice must be done to the self-interest of others, just not you. So you get the general idea. Going to take a quick break now. We're going to see if we can come up with some simplistic solutions to these complex problems. And we'll be back right after this. Now, I've no respect for doctors anymore. I've lost all my respect for the medical profession. They don't know anything. You go in there and they say, well, what do you think is wrong with you? I don't know. It's not my job to think. It's your job to think. I think you might have a bug. Oh, really? Thanks a million. What bug? You know? And the most you can expect is a prescription for some antibiotics. Now, where I come from, when you get a prescription for antibiotics, you don't say, well, will they work? Or will there be any side effects? No, it's, will I be able to drink with these? You know? <laughs> All right.
good. We're all on the same wavelength. And this friend of mine, and not really a friend, but a, a person I know, in fact, I hate him. This person I hate. <laughs> he suggested to me that I go on a fun run to raise money for charity. Now, I just laughed in his face. Because you know, those two words, fun and run, they should never be seen together in the same sentence, you know? It's like somebody with a big lump on the side of their head saying, hey, look at my humour tumour, you know? You know, running is never fun. Running is something you do when there's a man chasing you with a knife. Yeah. Yes. And we're back. Uh, behind the principles of Medicare, you know, it's really nothing to do with health care as such. It's really a, a hatred of, of, of profit and capitalism, etc., etc. So are there simplistic solutions to simplistic problems? <laughs> or is it a complex solution with a complex problem? Well, what needs to be done, ironically, in the midst of all this government-run health care is, ironically, the legalization of faster, better health care. It's actually illegal in Ontario because the Liberal and Progressive, Conservative and NDP parties say that it is morally wrong for you to get faster or better treatment by spending your own earnings instead of spending the taxpayers' earnings. Now, the implication is, of course, that if the poor are going to suffer or die, it is morally right that everyone suffers or dies to the same extent or at least shares the pain. They've actually referred to it as that way sometimes. But it is not right, I think, for the government to prevent anyone from spending his or her own money on his or her own health. I, I just can't see that. And it's immoral. It's cruel. It's wrong. It, it, it has to be changed. We at least have to be able to you know, be allowed to do that without breaking a law. So here very briefly are my simplistic solutions. And, and you know, when you talk about simplistic and this and that, there's, nothing is simple. Everything can be complex. I can tell you how simple it is to get, play a game of chess, but the game of chess is very complex when you get into it. I can show you a set of dominoes and tick one down a table and watch them all fall over, and boy, you can see some really nice complex patterns, but it's very easy to understand. It's just that you can't hold every single factor of it in your mind at one point, and that's what makes things complex to people. But today's governments do not concern themselves with helping the poor or those less fortunate. What they're really doing is running a zero-priced health care monopoly for all under the principle of single-payer. So, you know, even if the government wanted to help the poor, taking over every industry that, that the poor may or may not use is not the answer uh, to helping the poor. Uh, now, on October 1st, 1969... The Progressive Conservatives in Ontario gave the Ontario government a monopoly on health care insurance. And it did so by passing a law making it illegal to buy or sell private health insurance for most medical services. Another reason why you can't lower the price of your health care. You know, if you could, there is such a thing as affordable insurance, and it would never be insurance that you get first dollar coverage for, trust me. Um, and it should be always voluntary, otherwise the price goes up again. But they made it illegal, and prior to that conservative's ban, everyone in Ontario was free to buy private health insurance and to buy medical services direct. And most Ontarians who wanted private health care insurance had it and were quite happy with it. In fact, for 100% of the people, why not at least just bring it in for the 8% who, uh, you know, who didn't have health care insurance? Why bring it in for 100%? It didn't make any sense, because of course, 8% of the people aren't going to get you elected, are they? 100% is what you need to get elected. So politics enters the situation, and then suddenly we have what is called socialized health care. Now, the government health insurance monopoly made unions more politically powerful and well-financed. It gave privately owned, there's that nasty word again, health care providers guaranteed cash flow from taxpayer-financed government troughs, which is not privatization, because a taxpayer is not privatized, remember? He's a guy without the choice. However, the monopoly has not served Ontario's patients and taxpayers well at all. Delays are inhumanely long and completely unjustifiable. Now, to make matters worse, the Liberal government of Ontario in 2004 made it illegal to spend your own money on health care services not covered by OHIP. So the result? Fines are imposed on any individual or company that tries to sell you faster, better health care within the jurisdiction of Ontario. And that's why you have people running who need 
need fast health care now to other jurisdictions because it's the only place they can go now. Is that, is that completely wacko or what? It just, I just can't believe we even think like this for five seconds, let alone glue all our, our hopes to this system. And of course, the government has to exit the health insurance business entirely. The government must never be allowed to force anybody to buy private health care insurance either, as has been done in several U.S. states. You know, they might not have a government plan, but they do force workers and citizens to purchase private plans, although these are the same people that they'll say, oh, they don't have insurance when we hear about it in Canada. Now, here are the choices everyone should have, and it's a fact, you know, I'm not... People say, well, this, what you're proposing is only for the rich. Well, gee, if I was rich, um, <laughs> I'm not a rich person. And I know that I am one of the vulnerable ones who requires a health care system because I haven't been in a situation all my life to be able to, to purchase the health care insurance plans that I should have or to be able to save money that I could towards an emergency situation because all that money is being wasted in the government system as it is. So basically... To get from where we are to where we're going, we have to start by introducing choice into the system. You just don't throw it all away. And you have to give everyone a choice of a private insurer, a government insurer, and no insurer at all. You can pay as you go. And a lot of people don't ever need insurance because they're wealthy. Why would they need insurance? And why would they need to draw from an insurance plan that the rest of us need to draw from? So you see all the problems when the government gets involved. And, of course, it's not just freedom for we, the consumer, and we, the taxpayer, but also we have to give physicians the freedom to choose whether or not they want to serve publicly insured patients, privately insured patients, or pay-as-you-go patients, or patients who can't pay anyway. But the doctor's still willing to do something on his own, as was done with, guess who, Tommy Douglas himself. And, of course, all health care services should be able to be offered by anyone qualified to provide them and that's just not the situation entirely in the country so these are just a few of the things you can you can do to in, in, in fact take a step in the right direction unfortunately right now we're on we're all headed on the road to bankruptcy the fiscal bankruptcy that inevitably follows the philosophical one and um, you know I was I was alarmed in our 2007 Ontario election platform when we were working <laughs> on it back uh, during the last election for Freedom Party, we were looking at the Ontario budget. And at that time, the most recently published budget was the 2005 provincial budget. And just two government programs alone, healthcare and education, amounted to $44.9 billion. At the same time, if you added up all four of, in, of Ontario's income tax sources, they didn't even cover that $44.9 billion. And they were as follows. Personal income tax, $20 billion. Corporate income tax, $9.2. Employer health tax, $4 billion. Health premium, $2.4 billion. For a grand income tax total of $35.6 billion, well short of the $44.9 billion. So where do they make up the rest? Well... They make it up from PST, which raises $15.5 billion, and that was before harmonization, remember. This is from the 2005 budget. Uh, the gas and fuel tax, $3 billion, and other taxes in Ontario at $3.5 billion for a grand total of $57.6 billion, which, of course, doesn't count welfare, infrastructure, uh, education, others, other issues, um, that's just basically it. Two programs cover 78% of all of our tax revenues. And it, just, it, doesn't spe- you know, it doesn't include all the other things, welfare, infrastructure, policing, transportation, entertainment, all those things that government spends money on. So, above all, it doesn't count the last four years of McGinty and green energy. So is it any wonder we're all now feeling quite taxed to death? I'm afraid it can only get worse before it gets better unless we all adopt an entirely different mindset, an entirely different philosophy with regards to government spending in general. Is that so complex? It's not really that complex unless you want to eat your cake and have it too. That's always complex, and I can't tell you I have an answer for that because I don't. The cake's been eaten, and now we have not, including even having the right or ability to bake a fresh cake. And that does create complexities, all because of a simplistic solution. Government health care, robbing Peter to pay for Paul. And that's my two bits 
on healthcare this week. I guess that's it for us this week, eh, Kathy? <laughs> Time to go. We'll just go straight to the last clip, and I guess we'll be out, out here next week. Robert will join us again next week, and we hope you will continue to join us again when we continue next week as we return our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. Be right back here. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bed clothes, everything will be Now, the most dangerous people on the road are the ambulance drivers. They're reckless. Now, I've no respect at all for that particular emergency vehicle. And the thing I dislike most about the ambulance is the way they have the word ambulance spelt backwards, <laughs> emblazoned across the front of the vehicle. Now, the thinking being that you're driving along in traffic and you look in your rearview mirror and you see, oh, there's an ambulance behind me, so I better pull over. You know, that's assuming that you haven't heard the incredibly loud siren in the first place. <laughs> you know, they think we're idiots, don't they? So whenever I see an ambulance coming towards me, down the wrong side of the street, as they often do, I think to myself, hmm, well, I hear the siren all right, but how can I be sure? Yeah. Yeah. How can I be sure? You know?